This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know I have not been a fan of the way Doug McCallum has run the city of Surrey. I don't think I'm in the minority there, and I certainly don't expect any Christmas cards from him this year. But that's okay. I'm doing my job, and he's doing his job or to his best ability. Now, as you're all aware, Mr. McCallum is presently spending his time uh, in a courtroom where he is charged with one count of public mischief regarding comments he made about a Surrey resident driving over his foot. That issue is before the court, and that's where it will be decided. But I was thinking the other day, the vitriol public officials now face. I mean, whether you like the man or not, he did have a deal. He does not have to deal. He did not have to deal with verbal abuse in that Save on Foods parking lot. When did that become acceptable? Now, take a listen to a report filed two days ago by CKNW's Emily Lazatin. Now, you tell me whether this was an isolated incident or not. Debbie Johnstone is the Crown's first witness. McCallum told police she pulled up in a car and, quote, just about pinned him, and she pulled away, purposely turned towards him, and ran over his foot. Johnstone testified there was a heated exchange between the two. She called him, quote, a scaly-faced mother effer, told him F-U a few times. And when asked if she ever called McCallum a S-head, Johnson answered, oh, probably. Crown will continue to question Johnston after lunch break. Emily Lazatin, Global News. Now, you could say this is an isolated incident, and whether or not you like elected officials' policy, whether you invo- uh, voted for them, when did verbal abuse in a public setting become acceptable? It shouldn't be. Now, in Ottawa, MPs are being given panic buttons to increase their personal security in response to threats and rising concerns about harassment of parliamentarians. The security assessment follows a number of threats to MPs uh, and incidents in the past year. At a campaign event during the last election, a handful of gravel was thrown at Liberal leader Justin Trudeau outside a political rally. Uh, or for that matter, there were comments and threats directed at former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Let's also not uh, forget about the man uh, in Alberta who was yelling at Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland as she was getting into uh, an elevator. That made national news. Let's also not forget the verbal harassment of NDP leader Jagmeet Singh during an Ontario election campaign visit earlier this year or the fact that environmental protesters showed up at the home of Premier John Horgan. It's all harassment and it goes on and on. This isn't a right-wing issue or a left-wing issue. Death threats, panic buttons, home security, emergency escape routes. Elected officials now are increasingly concerned about physical risk. The toxic political climate that is poised to move online threats to real life is pushing many to never seek public office. Just look at the recent attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. The man accused of a hammer attack on her husband told police he was on a suicide mission, according to court documents. Civil discourse isn't just about polite conversation. It's a vital ingredient to better public policy and public leadership. So how do we, how, how did we get here? And more importantly, how do we fix it? Joining me now to discuss the issue is former Premier of BC, Christy Clark. Christy, thank you for joining us today. Always nice to be back. Thank you, Jazz. Um, you know, as I was uh, listening to some of the testimony in the Doug McCallum trial and, and uh, we heard about some of the heated exchanges uh, outside this grocery store in South Surrey, 
it kind of reminded me of other incidents. I think of uh, protesters outside uh, Premier John Horgan's house, uh, uh, the vitriol that Prime Minister Just- Justin Trudeau um, gets, uh, what the, the vitriol the former Prime Minister, Just- uh, Prime Minister Harper, used to get as well. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, have we reached a, a new level of um, just really poor discourse in society now that uh, even a, a mayor, whether you like his politics or not, uh, is getting profanity thrown in his direction? Yeah, I think there are two issues there, Jazz. I think one is, and they're related, one is the level of discourse that we're at. I mean, I do think that we are at the worst level of public discourse I've ever seen in my lifetime. And what, you know, the problem is, is that there is so little room for empathy and understanding of a, of another person's position. You know, it's kind of like we all tend to just say, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, when we really, if we want to have a healthy debate, need to be trying to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and think about, okay, are, you know, see them as a human being who has different views from you. And I always, you know, when I, when I was doing your job, Jazz, I always mm-hmm. thought about that a lot, you know, that I really wanted people to understand what the person was thinking, even if I disagreed with them. And I know you do the same thing. But I think that that's something that's kind of lost in public discourse at the moment. I think the other issue, though, is attacking politicians verbally. That has been around, I would say, I mean... I, my recollection of it is it really started in earnest after Gordon Campbell in 2001 started um, changing the union contracts and the years of, you know, of benefits that had been built in by the NDP that he wanted to take out. That was to me when this started, at least in British Columbia. Uh, is, so it was almost, it was pre-social media, actually. It actually, yeah, you know, it was, and it was, what I mean, it, for us in British Columbia, and I, you know, this is all across the political spectrum, so I'm not picking on anybody here, but in British Columbia, it really started with the teachers' union and the hospital employees' union very upset about the changes that were being made, and I mean, I was the education minister at the time, so I was front and center in this myself, mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, they use, what they were using was their very well-developed communications network internally to motivate people, and it was angry. And I remember um, Gordon uh, Campbell one time was, you know, he he was verbally attacked and threatened, I think, on a plane, and the police got involved, and everybody was really shocked about that. No one is shocked about that kind of behavior anymore. I don't think it's just become all too common. But then, as you say, social media has really changed everything. So it's not just these internal networks for, say, a union or an environmental group. And what we're also seeing now is it's not just the left. Um, it's also, in, you know, in British Columbia and in Canada, it's also the right, the far right, the conspiracy theorists that are fired up. And I think that that kind of started, got going with the kind of the nexus of social media and President Obama's election in the United States. Hmm. Uh, now, now, some would argue, look, uh, people may, would not have agreed with some of the things that Gordon Campbell wanted to implement. And, and there's always, uh, you know, environment and, and there should be openness to um, discourse and people pushing back on any political leader if you don't like their policies. Um, but it, it is quite shocking when I think of Mr. McCallum, who I have I, I've had many have had many questions about the way he's run his administration. I'm just wondering the cumulative effect of what you've just described to me. Um, 
also speaks to the fact that I think we're having difficulty attracting quality people to public life just because of what every, just to, just be based on what you've told me. No doubt about that, Jazz. No doubt about it. I mean, what the only people that will get into politics now, really, are political insiders, like people who know it, who have grown up in it. So Justin Trudeau, for example, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, he grew up in it, inherited it uh, from his dad. Um, you've, and then backroom political people who've been around a long time, sometimes journalists, because journalists are, are kind of used to the cut and thrust. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're not finding average, and, you know, and union leaders, say, for example, or people that have experience in that. But, you know, you're just not finding normal people, regular average Joes getting into politics anymore. And I, you're absolutely right. A big part of it, and I hear this especially from women, is just the, they're just do not want to be attacked. They don't want to be disparaged. They don't want their reputations in tatters when they're done. And they're like, you know, I can do some good things outside of being in politics. So thank you very much. I'm not interested. And that's a real shame because we're missing so many good people who should be doing this job. Christy, how do we collectively turn things around? You know, Jazz, I don't think asking politicians to start behaving better in question period is any kind of an answer, you know? I mean, I just don't think, like, that's been what's going on for, you know, since the beginning of parliaments. They've been badly behaved and yelling at each other. Something else has changed, though. And I do think we need, the media need to play a positive role in this. And I think as individuals, we need to really be, um, I think we need to have a very strong um, public conversation about empathy and our ability to listen to one another. And my example that I always use from this is, as you know, I am a very committed pro-choice person as a feminist. But I sat in my caucus and my cabinet with a lot of people who were just as, just as um, strongly pro-life. I found a way, I was so surprised about it too, to love them, to care about them, to sit with them and talk with them about these really difficult issues because I saw them as human beings and I, and I understood where their views came from. I didn't agree with their views, but I thought, but I knew that they were good people. And I think we have to really work hard as individuals on a one-on-one level to start talking to each other we disagree with and doing it purposefully and doing it in a way where we recognize that they are good people, even if we disagree with them. And, you know, Changing question period, that's not the answer. It's mm-hmm. actually changing individuals. And I think the media, the you know, like your show, like people at CKNW and the newspaper, people can really make it a difference in changing that tone and, ta- and encouraging this dialogue around how we relate to one another. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I, it, the media always gets some things, uh, you know, they get accused of a lot, and I understand but so much of it to me is, I think, beyond that. I'm, look, I'm still accountable to uh, editorial teams here. I'm still accountable based on CRTC rules. I'm still accountable due to defamation laws that uh, are on the books. Uh, social media uh, very rarely is accountable to any of that. And I think maybe that has been probably driving more of the vitriol than ever before. And I look, people have more distribution channels. They, don't really, they can go around what is described as mainstream media. Uh, but I think a lot of that uh, is driving this as well, that you, you're not, you don't have to be accountable. You can have one partisan view and keep driving that view and repeating that view 
And that, in some ways, uh, has led to a lot of folks just saying, you know what, I'm going to not run for a public office, as you said. I don't want to put up with this. You're right. No, you're you're totally, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the social media element that's transformed this really dramatically. The reason I suggest the mainstream media is precisely because of the things that you've talked about, which is um, mainstream media has an ability that we haven't been, we haven't really seen social media um, you know, in, social media doesn't have the ability, I don't think, because it's almost ungoverned. So, you know, the responsible governed media actually does have an ability to do some of this. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Social media isn't something we're going to get our hands around really quickly. But I do think that there is a growing appetite amongst people, and I meet them all the time, for reasonable, thoughtful, empathetic discussions. Because people are really, I think, like you and I, very concerned about where this is going. And um, I, 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 I think that news sources, social media channels that allow people to see both sides of things where the debaters are both human beings and respected, um, I think the appetite for that is actually really growing. And I think we'll see more channels like that open up um, where, and I think they'll become more and more popular over time. But in the short term, jazz, um, we're in a very, very tough spot, and we should be very, very thankful that in Canada we don't have the proliferation of gun culture that they do in the United States because people are angry here too, but no, people don't act out the way that they do in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bad here. It's frightening for a lot of people who might otherwise go into politics, and that's a great loss for us, but um, we still we still have some advantages over our neighbors to the south, and we should be very, very thankful for that. Christy, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, always nice to talk to you, Jess. Thank you.